Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we could be here once again tonight in your house to close out your Sabbath, but also, Lord, to say a farewell to another year of camp meeting, another year that we can be closer and look more earnestly to your second coming. Lord, I pray that hearts have been moved, and Lord, I, I only you know the full extent of the conversion power that's taken place on this campus over the last several days. But I pray, Lord, that a mighty change has been wrought in the lives of your people as a result of what has gone on here. And I pray now, Lord, tonight that we would be open to your leading, that we would be ready to receive that which you have prepared for us through your servant, and that you would give him the energy and the and the stamina, Lord, and Lord, that you would also anoint his lips so that whatever he says comes from you. May all the glory and honor be yours. And Lord, as we close out, may we each be drawn closer to Jesus as a result of what's happened here. If we pray these things in his name, amen. Elder Torres, we're going to turn it over to you now. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening to all of you. It's a pleasure to uh, again share the word with you. And thank you for coming a little uh, closer, except for those of you far. I hope you be blessed at the distance. In the early 1900s, um, Albania actually won its independence on November 28, 1912. When Albania won its independence after they separated themselves from Turkey, from the old Ottoman Empire, they requested a Turk, of all things, to be their king. And his name was Halim Edin. Now, that young uh, prince wasn't sure that he wanted to be the king of a rebellious group that had just broken off from his country. So he thought about it. However, uh, in the, during the process of this waiting, all of a sudden one day, there in uh, Albania, let me see if I can get my, uh, punch the thing there and hopefully it'll, it'll cooperate. Okay. So in Albania there showed up uh, Prince Adin. And the Albanians were excited that he decided to accept the invitation to be the next king. So they erupted into a celebration and they celebrated the entire week. In fact, they gave him a, a uh, harem of about 50 women. Um, they uh, really, really wanted to make sure that he felt welcome and accepted, etc. So while they're doing all the celebration toward the end of the week, a, a telegram arrived from the Sultan of Turkey saying, Prince Adin has decided to come and be your king. Well, the leaders were surprised because Prince Adin was already there. 
But they were confused because this was an official telegram from the Sultan of Turkey. So they went looking for Prince Odin, and he had disappeared. It turned out that this fella was actually Otto Gwit. He was a German circus actor who actually looked like the prince. And because he was very close to Albania, uh, his buddy, who was a, a burly, muscular guy, uh, said, well, you know, since you look like him, why don't you go in there and present yourself as him? So he did. And they showed up in this uh, wagon. He looked quite, quite the uh, royal person that they expected. And of course, he had this bodyguard there, this muscular guy. <laughs> so they accepted him. However, when they discovered that there was something going on, Otto Witt disappeared. And so for one week, Otto Witt was king for a week. That's as long as it lasted. However, the glory that should have been going to the real prince was going to an imposter. He, uh, when he died, they actually uh, buried him in a royal tomb in Germany, uh, but he was given the glory that belonged to, to the prince. Let's pray as we study. Holy Father, as we study the word, we ask for your spirit to guide us. Help me to present it in a way that will reach the heart. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think of Pentecost, uh, what comes into your mind? I'm going to put them there. Do those come into your mind? The upper room experience with one accord, unity, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, gift of tongues, 3,000 baptized, power. Any of you can add some, something else? Hmm? Tums of flames, okay. What else comes to your mind when you think of Pentecost? Does this exhaust the list? Hmm? Faith? Well, all your answers are within that chapter, but you've missed one very important one. And one. So what was the purpose for the promised spirit? What was the purpose? Remember Jesus said when he has come, he will testify of who? Of me. Of who? Of Jesus. Jesus says that when the Spirit will be given, he would be testifying of Jesus. However, not one of you mentioned Jesus. You remember the book of Acts as well. He, he said, you shall receive power. I mean, that one too fast. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. So who really 
should be the center of Acts chapter 2. It is Jesus, correct. But here's what happens. Most of the sermons you have heard, most of the studies you have heard, most of the time when you discuss a subject, it is always, always, most of the time about spirit and tongues. Is that correct? In fact, if you ask the Pentecostals, that's, that's, that's it. The gift of tongues, Acts chapter 2. But Jesus did not say that the Spirit of God was being given for the purpose of us getting excited about tongues. But Jesus gave the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God could testify of him. And in fact, most of us stop when we conclude with the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's unity, they're praying together, they uh, exchange forgiveness for, one another, for uh, what they've done to each other, uh, all those things. But most of the time, uh, Christ is not really the center, when Jesus said that he should be the center. So, maybe we should go through Acts chapter 2 a little bit, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2, because this has something to do with you today. With who? With you. And I do want to say this to you. Now, you already by now know that I'm a musician, is that correct? Did you know that? You don't know that because you missed when I talked about my being a musician, okay? Uh, but I spent eight years in show business. My wife is a former concert violinist. She was the first chair in New York City under the conductor of the New York Opera City, uh, New York City Opera, etc. Anyway, both of us are, or were, we're now has-beens, but we were professional musicians, okay? And the reason I'm sharing that with you is for this purpose. There is not one single revival recorded in the scriptures that happened as a result of singing. How many? Zilch. You know that word, right? How many? Zero. There's not one revival in the Bible that happened as a result of a praise service. Not one. All the revivals that took place in the Bible came as a result of people discovering what was lost, and that was the Word of God. When the revival took place in Jerusalem, it happened because they discovered afresh the Word of God. Somebody was cleaning up the temple, and they found the book. They took it to the king. He read it. He rent his clothes, and that was it. The revival took place. Correct? The revival that took place in Nineveh. Jonah was not going around singing praise songs. What was Jonah doing? He was preaching. What was he doing? He was preaching. Revivals take place when the word of God is preached. Because the power is in the word. Jesus says, my words are spirit, my words are life. 
So, Acts chapter 2 is the same. The revival that took place in Acts chapter 2, the 3,000 were baptized, came as a result of the word being preached. What did I say? Came as a result of what? The word being preached. Now, let me just demonstrate it to you so that I can make you a believer, right? And uh, something happens with this thing that it should work, but it doesn't work. And uh, maybe we could, uh, there it is, okay. When the Holy Ghost had come upon them, and by the way, let me ask you another question because there are a lot of misconceptions. When the Holy Ghost came upon the disciples, what was their posture? Were they kneeling and praying? What were they doing? Do you know? What's the normal picture that you see of the day of Pentecost? They are kneeling and all of a sudden tongues of fire come upon their heads. Is that the picture you normally see? But what does the Bible say? What were they doing when the Holy Ghost came upon them? Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. What does it say? It says, the Holy Ghost came upon them where they were what? Where they were sitting. You see, here's the point, folks. Jesus was not interested in the posture. He was interested in the condition of the heart. And when the Lord saw that the people had, had gotten to the place where in heart they were ready to receive the power, then God could trust them with the power. If those disciples had received the power before that, there would have been a lot of fire going on. But what kind of fire? You remember what John and James said to Jesus when they were going to Jerusalem? And he said, find me a room over there. And he came back and said, I don't want you here. And what did John and James said? Lord, should we call what? Fire down on them. Burn them up. And Jesus said, you know not what spirit you are of. So if Jesus had given them the power ahead of time, what would they have done with that power? They would have misused it. So he waited until their hearts were in tune with his. And then he trusted them with the power. And so we have promised that when the latter rain comes, it will fall as people are sitting in the church, not because they're kneeling and begging for it, but it comes where they're sitting in the church and it says it will fall on some and they will also pass some up. Which means that the Holy Ghost knows the condition of the heart and knows which one to fill and which one to pass by. And friends, all of us never want that Spirit of God to pass us up when that moment comes. Okay? So, when the Spirit of God came upon them, they, they began to preach in languages. In what? In languages. They started speaking in Espanol and in, uh, and in Russian and all sorts of languages, right? Because it says that these people were listening to the Word of God in their languages wherein they were born. In fact, the Greek word is dialectos. What is it? And what is that word? Dialect, okay? So they were speaking in dialects. So they were confounded because they knew that these fellows were Galileans. And so they said, how is it possible for these uneducated Galileans to be speaking in all of the language from where we were born? And if you look at that chapter 2, it gives you a list, right? 
Parthians and Medes and the Elamites, uh, etc. Do you see that? Gives you a whole list of what, uh, what countries were represented there. So they were confounded. And notice what it says. Uh, it says in verse 13, what meaneth this? What's the question? Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. What did they ask? What meaneth this? And so, what does Peter do? The Bible says, but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and uh, said unto them, Ye men of, of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. You want to know what it means? I'm going to explain to you what it means. That's what Peter's doing. And what does this mean? And look, today there are a lot of people asking that question. There's a lot of things going on today. And people are asking the question, what does this mean? I can tell you, the earthquakes, did you know that the number of earthquakes has multiplied? Did you know that around the world? Just Google earthquakes and you'll see that they've multiplied. There are hundreds of earthquakes happening every single day around the globe. Did you know that the hurricanes now have increased to what is called super typhoons? And when I was in Guam, a typhoon was about 800 miles large. How long? 800 miles. That's a lot of miles. Okay. And the winds. I went to the Philippines when a super typhoon went to a town called Tacloban. And we got there, 21 of us, to help the casualties. Buildings like this were completely gone. Whole vicinities, all that was left was foundations. Bodies everywhere. Boats. Large ships were driven on land. There were people who were hiding in their homes thinking that they were going to escape. And the boat came and smashed all of those houses in the way and killed every single person that, that supposed they would survive in their homes. We went there, and it was a horrible, horrible sight to see. Devastation everywhere super typhoons that did not exist in 1970. There are diseases that have increased. There are 30 new diseases that have now come on planet Earth that did not exist before. Did you know that? Yes or no? I can tell you more and more and more, but I need to talk about Pentecost. What I'm trying to explain to you, folks, is that a lot of people are asking the question, what's going on? What does this mean? And so, Peter then begins to give the answer. If you look at Acts chapter 2, Peter begins to quote from the book of Joel. From what book? Book of Joel. Let me see if I can get that this way, okay? He begins with the prophet Joel. If you're going to give people answers today for what's going on, you have to turn them to prophecy. To what? To prophecy. Which means, folks, that you need to know your prophecies. 
correct prophecies. All right? So Peter says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, what you are experiencing, Joel already predicted it. And I should tell you this. Of all the sacred writings that are available out there, and I'm speaking about the writings of Buddha, the writings of Muhammad, the writings of, of the Hindus, the writings of Confucius, the writings of the Jap Japanese, all the sacred writings, none of them have prophecies. The Bible has more than 1,800 prophecies. More than what? 1,800 prophecies. And the reason for that is that God is seeking to get our attention to let you know that all these other things that profess to be gods and all that cannot foretell the future. And so he says, if you want to know who really is the one in charge, I am the one because I declare what's going to happen and it happens. So God uses prophecy. In fact, there are 333 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. How many? 333 prophecies about Jesus before he was born. Now, why was that important? Because anybody can get up and say, I'm the Messiah. But they had to meet these conditions. All right? They couldn't just say, I'm the Messiah. They had to be born in the right place. Where was the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem. All right? There were 333 things that the Messiah had to fulfill, prophecies, in order to guarantee us that we could place our faith on the right person. Now, just to give you an example, for one person to fulfill only 48 of those prophecies, how many? For one person to fulfill 48 of those prophecies would be the probability would be one chance in 10 to the 157th power. Now, for those of you who are not in tune with mathematics, let me explain to you what I mean. It would be like taking a person blindfolding them, covering the whole state of Texas with two feet of silver dollars, marking one of them, pitching it in, in some place in the state of Texas, and then that person blindfolded has only one pick to find that silver coin that's marked. That's the probability of fulfilling 48 prophecies. Jesus had to fulfill 333. Which means then that he is the only one that could be the true Messiah. What do you say? And so we can put our trust in him. So this is what Joel was predicting. And so he goes into the, 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 the prediction. Now we'll need to read it. I, on purpose, I've just put it in uh, the reference there so we can read it. Are you there in Acts chapter 2? Let's look at Acts chapter 2 and uh, notice what Peter says concerning Joel. And uh, most of the time, we take this prophecy and put it as a fulfillment in our day. The Spirit of the Lord led Peter to take the prophecy and use it as a fulfillment in his day. Notice what it says. But this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I'll pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, 
I will show wonders in heaven above, the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right? So these are all the things that have been predicted by Joel, and you folk are experiencing the fulfillment of that prediction. Now you might say, how was that? How could Joel be the fulfillment of what's happening to Christ? You see, were there young people who had visions in the days of Christ? What's the answer? Well, yes or no? Did Mary have visions? Did Zechariah have visions? Yes or no? Did Anna have visions? Did Simeon have visions? Were there miracles in the days of Christ? Did the sun lose its light in the days of Christ? When? It says when Jesus died on the cross, okay? When he hung on the cross from the ninth, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness. That means from noon, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was complete darkness. In other words, Peter is led by the Spirit of God to help the people understand that what happened to Christ, the miracles he performed, the signs and visions that were seen actually happened during Christ's ministry. And there was blood. Was there blood? It streamed out of his side and from his veins. In other words, that's the prophecy. Then, the application. Look at then verse 22. So he gives the prophecy, the application. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So he gives us a prophecy, and then he gives us the application. See that? So those prophecies in Joel were actually about who? About Jesus. Now, I'm sitting here in the midst of many preachers, and probably this is something new to you. Is it preacher? Yes, no? Pepper? I'm, I'm saying that because most of the application on Acts chapter 2, no one really has applied that to Christ's day. Most of the time we're applying Joel chapter 2 to where? To these last days. In fact, it is this, one of the parts of this verses that some are using to say women should be pastors. Because it says women will see dreams and have visions. But this prophecy is not about women ordination. It's about Jesus. It's about who? It's about Jesus. See that? Well, say amen if you see it. All right. Now, notice then that he goes to the next one. To the what? To the next one. Notice it says, the next prophecy I'm going to get to that shortly as soon as this thing behaves itself. Just touch the pad there. Thank you. All right. 
verse 25. Notice what it says. For David speaketh concerning him, for I know the Lord always before, I'm sorry, for I, saw, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he said, uh, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren. Okay, so he gives the prophecy, right, of David. Now he said, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch David. In other words, David made these prophecies, okay? But let me talk to you about David. It says, just like I'm talking to you about now, that, that Joel was applicable to Jesus and not to women or nation, okay? <laughs> All right, so he's saying, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a what? A prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he seen this before, spake of what? Of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh to see corruption. In other words, God had predicted to the prophet David that Jesus would die in Joel. Through the prophet Joel, but through the prophet David, that Jesus would rise. You see? That there would be the resurrection of Christ. But not only to rise, notice what else. It says, This Jesus have God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by, by what? Verse 33. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he have shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David himself is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, folks, two prophecies about who? About Jesus. One, Joel. The other one, David. And the Spirit of God is leading Peter to make the appropriate application of those two prophecies. And he's saying, God predicted through Joel that, that Jesus would perform miracles and there would be signs and wonders and all that. But you folk crucified him. And you thought that he was going to stay there in the tomb. But... It says, he would rise again because it said that his soul was not left to see corruption. But, it says, David declares that he would then sit on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In other words, you folk make a grave mistake. You took Jesus, who you thought was some, uh, you know, common person, and you killed him. But in reality, the one you killed was the son of God. And now he is beyond your control. He is sitting on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
Now, if you were a Jew in those days, and somebody told you that you killed the scent of heaven, and your heart got convicted about that, what would happen? You would be scared spitless. Yes or no? You made a mistake, a great mistake like that. And now you realize that you were indeed responsible for crucifying the scent of God. You would expect lightning to strike you immediately. But God has mercy. God has what? Because God had told the disciples that they were to preach the, the gospel first to the Jews, then to the Samaritans. Think of the mercy of Christ. Samaritans had said, you want to go to Jerusalem? You got to pick your choice, Jerusalem or us. You can't have them both. You're going to Jerusalem, no place for you to stay here tonight. And that's why the boy said, let's burn them up. Okay? So the ones that rejected Christ, the Samaritans and the Jews, are the first ones that Jesus said, go to them and preach to them. What a wonderful Savior we have, what do you say? Many times we have done things to our Lord and Savior. Isn't that true? Some people curse God, curse the Lord, swear, use him in foul language and all that, never realizing what they're really doing. But when they finally awaken, when conscience awakes and they realize what they have done, they feel that they should be struck with lightning immediately. But rather than that, God surrounds them with arms of love. What a savior, what do you say? Now listen, here you thought it was about tongues, etc. You've only read 13 verses and you stop. And here are how many verses in this chapter? 47. <laughs> so what has happened? What has happened is this, folks. We have allowed the charismatic movement to sound so blind us that we have missed what Acts chapter 2 was supposed to be about. If you talk to Pentecostals, all they talk about is tongues. Acts chapter 2, tongues. But the, Acts chapter 2 is not about tongues. Acts chapter 2 is about Jesus. About who? Jesus. The fact that it had been predicted that he would perform miracles, he would die, he would be buried, he would rise again, and he would ascend to the throne in the majesty of heaven. Now, think about it then. The application, Christ's resurrection and ascension had been what? Predicted. So, the Bible makes it plain then that Jesus did ascend to heaven. In fact, let me just uh, put your finger on that again. Thank you. This Jesus hath God what? Raised up whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see. In other words, the reason why you're seeing this is because Jesus has been exalted. The reason why you're hearing them speaking in languages is because Jesus has been exalted. The reason why they spoke another language is because Jesus was exalted. 
The only reason why you folk were able to be witnesses of this powerful manifestation is because Jesus has been exalted. So what is God telling us? What is God telling us? Listen, Jesus, when he died and rose, he went to heaven and he was exalted. It says, for David is not ascended into heaven. In other words, David was not talking about himself in that prophecy. But he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit where? Sit thou where? On my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now, if that's the case then, when we read Acts chapter 2, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Because the purpose of Acts chapter 2 is to let you know that the one who is crucified is both now what? Lord and Christ. What does this mean? Well, what it means is simply this, that the devil has stolen a march upon us. This chapter that was given to encourage and embolden believers to know that they have somebody connected to the very throne of God has been robbed by the teaching of the tongues. The glory that should have gone to Jesus has been gone to the wrong place. Just like Otto Wynn stole the glory from the prince, so the tongues movement has stole the glory from our prince. And we have fallen duped to it. Why is this important? Because Jesus is enthroned. What does that mean? You remember when the disciples saw their Lord crucified, they were hiding and fearful because of the, they thought they were next in line, correct? But when they discovered that their Lord and Savior was actually exalted in heaven and was sitting right at the throne of heaven, they knew then that they were connected to the throne of power. They had somebody sitting on the right hand on the throne of the majesty in heaven, which means then they were connected. They were what? Now, when you know somebody who's sitting on the left hand of somebody, on the right hand of somebody, what does that mean? How many of you do name dropping? Any of you are guilty of that? Huh? You know what I mean by name dropping? When I was in show business, a lot of people would say, oh, I know Little Lou. Well, I'm friends with Little Lou. They weren't interested in Little Lou. What were they interested in? Using my reputation to exalt themselves. You understand? That's name dropping. Oh, I know so-and-so. How many of you have done that? You don't have to raise your hand. We're all guilty. Isn't that true? All right. Now, the reason why it's important, this message is important, is because you need to know that the Savior that you serve is sitting on the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. Let me give you some proof text to show you, show you that. All right, would you touch that again, sir? All right, number one, Mark 16, 19. Go back, okay. Mark 16, 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was what? Received on into heaven and did what? And sat where? At the right hand of God. Here's another one. When Stephen was stoned, where did Stephen see Jesus? It says that when he was stoned, 
being stoned before he died, he said he saw the glory of God and who else? And Jesus standing where? At the right hand of God. All right? There's another text. Let me see if I can get to that. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that con condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that it is what? Risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh what? Intercession for us. You, you see, it is because of Jesus that you have the right to talk to the Father. Without Jesus, you would have no right. Jesus makes it okay for you to talk to the Father through him. That's why in the scriptures it says, when you pray, pray in my name. John 14, John 15, John 16. Ask the Father in my name. And you shall receive from the Father in my name. So ask in my name, ask in my name, ask in my name. The reason for that is because he is the only link that enables humanity to receive all that heaven has to offer. Without Jesus, you and I would be hopeless. With Jesus, we have all at our disposal. Because he is sitting where? At the right hand. Will you say amen to that? Listen, I was, uh, here's another text, and I'll tell you a story which was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him where? At the right hand in the heavenly places for above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And I put all things under his feet. I was doing something called in-gathering. Any of you know what that is? You mean they still do it here or someplace? I think it's an endangered species. <laughs> but I was taking my members, and because, look, in-gathering was a great blessing to our church, and the devil destroyed it. I'll tell you why. Because in-gathering was the only time when every member in the church had to go out and, and knock on doors. How many members? All members had to go and raise their, their portion to help the poor. And there was a little booklet that they would give to everybody that, uh, that they knocked, in whose door they knocked. And that booklet had an enrollment card to give people opportunity to study the Bible. You understand? It was the only time in the year when everybody went out. How many? Everybody went out. Okay. And the devil made sure that he destroyed that. Because now you have a few people going out. But listen, the members call me up. Pastor, pastor, come quickly. So what's the matter? The police are here. So I went and I said, uh, officers, what's the matter? You, you are telling your members to do something illegal. And I said, we're not doing anything illegal. Don't tell me you're not doing anything illegal. You know how police do, right? Says, uh, you get them out of here, I'm going to put them all in jail. I said, but officer, we are... Allowed to do this, not in this city, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Not in this city, he said. He said, but look, we're a church and we have the, the privilege to do that. Not in this city, you have to have a permit. I said, so where do you get the permit? You have to go to City Hall and get a permit. Otherwise, you cannot solicit. So, 
Where did you get that? City Hall. Okay. So the next day I go to City Hall. And when I go to uh, the city clerk, there's, a, of course, a secretary. You always have to get by the secretary, right? She said, well, can, can I help you? I said, I came to get a permit. For what? So we can collect uh, funds door to door. You can't do that. It's against the law. I said, well, I was told we, you can't get a permit for that. I said, but, sorry, mister, no permit. But, sorry, mister, no permit. So I walked out and I'm praying, Lord, what am I, what am I gonna do? So I remembered that a, a couple of weeks before I did a program to quit smoking. And the manager of the airport attended the program and quit smoking. So I called him up, I was impressed to call him. How are you doing? Oh, pastor, you don't know how grateful I am for what you've done for me. Thank you so much for helping me to quit smoking. So he said, uh, uh, I said, well, uh, do you know anybody in City Hall? He said, why? I said, well, I'm trying to solicit funds, you know, going around door to door to raise money so we can continue to run the program. That's all you need? He said, yeah. He said, I know the city clerk. He's a personal friend of mine. So he said, don't, don't do anything. I'll call you right back. So he called me back, he said, he's waiting for you. His name is Donnie. You call him Donnie. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. He's, I told him all about you. I told him how you helped me out and all that. So you, you go over there and he's waiting for you. So I go back to the office and that wonderful secretary sitting there. And she said, you again. She said, what do you want? I said, uh, well, I came to, I have an appointment. She said, with who? I said, uh, with, uh, with Donnie. And the man heard my voice. He came out and he said, are you Pastor Torres? I said, yeah. What are you standing there for? Come on in here. <laughs> and the poor secretary's eyes bugged out. You understand? So he said, he took me into the office and said, my buddy called me up. And he said, I want to tell you, I'm grateful for what you did for him because I was concerned about his health. So he said you needed something, you know, permit or something. For what? I said, well, I'm trying to run some of the programs again. I'm trying to raise some money for it. That's all. Come on with me. So he goes to the secretary and says, get that application out for the pastor. So she pulls it out. She said, fill it out for him. <laughs> Boy, I could see that ladies, you know, the blood is coming up. You understand? And I'm trying to keep cool <laughs> and look humble. You understand? <laughs> but I'm rejoicing inside. Are you hearing me? And so... Uh, then he says, uh, when you finish with it, let me know. I'll come and sign it. So he took me back in. He said, can I give you some coffee? Some? I said, just juice, just juice. So he gave me some orange juice. And he said, boy, he said, you know, this city can use people, more people like you, he said. He said, anything you need, Pastor, you just come and you tell her. All right? <laughs> so I didn't tell him what had happened. <laughs> You just tell her to take it. So he came back out with me and he said, are you done? Yes, sir. Uh, let me sign it for him. And then he said, look, anything, anytime that the pastor needs something, you take care of him, okay? Yes, sir. <laughs> so, so I went out humbling, rejoicing. You understand what I'm saying? I was rejoicing. Why? Because I was connected to who? To the head, you understand? You understand what I'm saying? I knew somebody who's, who was the right-hand man of the guy who was in power. But more importantly, I knew the one who could move mountains. You understand? My Lord is sitting where? 
in the right hand. All right? That's what Acts chapter 2 is all about. In fact, let me explain this to you. Let me explain this to you. When the Holy Spirit was given, let me see if I can find a statement here. Go ahead and put your finger on that thing. Next one. Okay. The gift of tongues sent from heaven through the Holy Spirit was to confirm that Jesus was placed where? All right. So what happened is this. When Jesus was inaugurated in heaven, he was placed on the throne, which means then that he was king. And that's why it says he's king of king and Lord of lords, okay? And when he was placed on that throne, the usual things that happened when kings were inaugurated was that they would send gifts. They would send what? They would send gifts. So what did he do? When Jesus was placed on the throne, what did he do? He sent gifts. What did he do? He sent gifts. The earthly manifestation was to reveal what was happening in heaven. You hear me what I'm saying? All right? In fact, there is a statement. Next one, here. When Christ passed within the heavenly gates, he was what? Enthroned amidst the adoration of the angels. As soon as the ceremony was what? Completed. What happened? The Holy Ghost descended upon the disciples from rich currents. Christ was indeed glorified, even with the glory which he had with the Father from all eternity. Hallelujah. What do you say? In other words, friends, the earthly manifestation gave you concrete evidence of what you could not see. The earthly sanctuary, which some people poo-hoo and say, no such thing is God's way of telling you what's happening up there because you cannot see up there. But God has to give you something to enable you to believe that it is happening. So he gave an earthly demonstration of a heavenly event. What do you say? So when Jesus was enthroned, he sent the gifts. You're not very excited about this. Can I say that again? When Jesus was enthroned, what did he do? He sent the gifts. Will you say amen to that? All right, so here's the problem then. Here's the problem. The charismatics are focusing on the gift. Acts 2 is focusing on the gift giver. Do you hear what I'm saying? God wanted you to know that you are connected directly to the throne because you have somebody who went up there to represent you. You are connected to the throne, to the Father, when you're connected to the Son. I was traveling, I was going to go to, I had to go to Poland to speak to some youth, Pathfinders, and after I finished, I I got there, I was secretary of the Great New York Conference at the time. So I got to Poland through Warsaw. Then I had to go to Sakopane, which is eight hours down by train or by car, they took me by car. Then to leave, I had a ministerial meeting back at the conference office, so I had to get back. But in order to get back sooner, I went two hours away to another country, Czech Republic, to catch a plane from there to Prague, from Prague to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to New York City. However, 
my plan was to leave at 6 in the morning. So we left about 2 o'clock in, in the morning to get there by 4 o'clock so that I was there in plenty of time. When I got there, it was pitch black. There was nothing happening, nothing. And I kept on looking at my watch and talking to the translator, you know, <laughs> killing time, as we say, until uh, 10 minutes to 6, the lights came on. And I thought, well, this is strange. Plane's supposed to fly out at 6, and they're opening the airport at 10 to 6. So I ran in there, and I said, I'm here. She said, you, you're here for what? I said, I said, I'm here for my flight. She said, it's canceled. I said, no, it can't be canceled. What do you mean it can't be canceled? She said, it's canceled. I said, but that can't be. I have to get to Prague. She said, sorry, mister, it's canceled. She offered nothing. Did you hear what I said? She didn't say, by the way, there's a plane coming at such and such a time, you know, you can catch. She just simply said, it's canceled, and that's it. Left me hanging. So we went and prayed and talked to the one that was sitting on the right hand. You understand? And so then I heard the plane land. I got excited. So I went to the lady. I said, I just heard a plane land. So, she said, I said, well, where's it going? She said, Prague. Good, can I get on it? She said, no, mister, it's an executive plane. You can't get on that plane. I said, why not? I need to get to Prague. She said, sorry, mister, you're not getting on that plane. It's for executives. So I said, I'm going to pray for one seat. She looked at me like, this guy's goofy. So I'm going to pray for one seat. So I went and sat down. We prayed for how many seats? One seat. Then two men walked in, and these two men came with long faces. They were scientists that had to fly to Arizona for some big scientific something or the other. And they said, uh, we're not going to be able to get there. I said, look, there's a plane that's here, and uh, I am praying that I get one seat, so let me go and talk to the lady. So I went to the lady and I said, by the way, uh, I need two more seats. And she looked at me like I was from Mars, you know. She said, mister, you're not getting on that plane. I said, I'm praying for three seats. So I went and sat down. So the man said, what's going on? I said, look, that plane is dead. I was praying for one seat. But now that you guys need to go, I went and told her I need three seats. So, so they looked at me kind of cocky, you know, and they thought, scientists, you know. So the lady called my name. Mr. Torres. So I went. She said, they're letting you one seat. Here's your boarding pass. I said, praise the Lord, but I'm praying for three seats. She said, mister, aren't you at least happy you got one? I said, I'm excited, but I'm praying for three. And she kind of, you know, threw her head back and thought. So I went, and the fellow said, what's going on? I said, well... Uh, they gave me one seat. But remember, guys, I'm praying for three seats, right? And they, they, they were just quiet. They didn't say anything. So then the lady calls one and calls the other. And so they came back silence. Okay? They were spooked. Okay? Came back silence. And then she said, okay, gentlemen, it's time to board. So they got up ahead of me. 
And so the fellow behind the first guy turned around and said, you must be connected to the guy upstairs. And I said, yes, I am. I said, what? Yes, I am. Listen, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, it was not through a Bible study, not through an evangelistic meeting. It was simply through a conversion experience. I experienced the one who has power to deliver from drugs, from alcohol, from anything that you need deliverance from. And when the Lord instantly took that away from me, I knew there was somebody up there who was powerful and real. And what? And real. I knew I could count on him. And I quit show business immediately, got drafted, became a conscientious objector, like Desmond Doss, I went off during the Vietnam War. But I knew that I could trust in him. You hear what I'm saying? I knew I was connected. And that's what Acts chapter 2 is about. God is telling you that he has his son next to him, and because of him, you can direct the father directly through Jesus. And that's good news. Listen, let me just share some. The Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's what? Communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was accomplished. According to his promise, he had sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to his followers as a token that he had as priest and king received how much? All, All authority where? In heaven. in heaven, where else? And on earth and was the anointed one over his people. That's why it says we can approach the throne of grace boldly. Why? Because you're connected. <laughs> Ooh, that's sweet, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, you know, I, I'm so excited to know that I have a living Savior who's there. And that's why, you know, look, I as a minister have seen the actual, real, literal speaking in tongues. Okay? I, as a minister, have seen people who were ravished with disease completely healed. I have seen people who are devil-possessed, and by God's grace, we were able to deliver them. I have seen those miracles, but that's not where my faith hangs on. My faith hangs on the one who is sitting where? the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's where we need to place our faith. The earthly event confirms the heavenly. heavenly. But listen, how many of you remember Joseph? I'm talking about in the Bible. You probably have some Joseph friends, but I'm talking about the one in the Bible, okay? Uh, something happened there. Let me see. Now he's saying, what did I do? Okay. Well, let me just share with you. Okay, there we are. Go to Joseph. Okay, next one. Okay. 
Joseph was a type of Christ. He was a what? A type of Christ. Joseph was betrayed. Jesus was what? Betrayed. Joseph was sold as a slave. Jesus was sold as a slave. In fact, the 30 pieces of silver that Judas asked for were actually the price of a slave in the days of Christ, okay? Joseph was placed in prison. Jesus was placed in the tomb. From the prison, Joseph was delivered. From the tomb, Jesus was delivered. Right from the tomb, Joseph was placed on the right hand of the throne in Egypt. And from the tomb, Jesus was placed on the right hand of the throne in heaven. Joseph sent gifts. Jesus sent gifts. Well, let's, let's go through the story. You remember Joseph was made the second ruler in Egypt. Remember that? All right. Remember when his brothers came to buy food, they didn't know it was Joseph. Remember that? And Jesus tested them. He what? Jesus tested them just as Joseph tested them, just as Jesus tested his disciples. There was a time of probation to find out whether or not, in both cases, those hearts had been changed. All right? Joseph was testing to see whether his brothers had become converted. Jesus was waiting to see whether or not these boys would change, have a change of heart, unite so that God could use them, right? In both cases, there's a time of waiting. And during that time of waiting, there's a time of searching. Those boys, in both cases, search their hearts. Is that true? All right. Then, finally, Joseph reveals who he is, and he says to them, notice what he says, Haste ye and go unto my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God has made me what? Lord of all Egypt, come down unto me, tarry not. Okay? Hurry up! Because God has made me second in Egypt. All right? Now, the boys were shocked, and they expected retribution for what they had done to Joseph. But rather than retribution, Jesus, I mean, Joseph forgave their brothers, didn't he? He wept with them. And then he said, hurry up and go down and, and don't, don't delay. So what happened? The boys run home, all right? Just like the disciples were supposed to wait until the time when Jesus would do something for them. So the boys then run home, all right? Now, it says, you shall tell my father of all my glory. What? All my glory. And Jesus told the disciples, you should tell the world of all my glory. Okay. You understand? Now, so when they got to Joseph, uh, to Jacob, they said, Joseph is yet what? What did the disciples say to the people? Jesus is alive. Did they believe? No. Did Jacob believe? No. So it says, Joseph is yet alive, and, he's, and he is governor of all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he what? He believed them not. Oh, boys, don't do that to me. You know how much I've suffered at the loss of my son. How can you be so cruel and do that to me? Open up all wounds. But that he is alive. We saw him. And the disciples, what were they saying? Well, he is alive. We saw him. See, but they didn't believe. So what happened? Well, what happened is that 
the boys then pointed to, let's see, pointed to what? To the wagons and the stuff that they brought back. Look, look at what it says. Press that button, please. Look at what it says. When he saw what? The wagons which what? Joseph had sent to carry him. The spirit of Jacob, what? The father was revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is? Now, did he see Joseph? No. What gave him the evidence that Joseph was alive? Ah, oh, the gifts, exactly. You see that? What gave him the evidence? The gifts. You see? Hmm? And even though Joseph had not seen his son, he said, Joseph indeed is alive. Joseph did not get, I mean, Jacob did not get all excited and say, whoopee, I got 10 more wagons. No, he said, whoopee, my son is what? My son is alive. I'm going to go see him. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. Those people who were there, when they finally realized, like the brothers of Jacob, of Joseph, that they had crucified, they were responsible for what they did, just like the brothers were responsible for what they did to Joseph. When they realized that he was alive and heard that there was mercy toward them, they rejoiced. And the scripture says that 3,000 of them were baptized that day. Amen, what do you say? So listen, I wanted to leave you the message tonight. That no matter what your challenges are, Jesus is alive. No matter what your circumstances may be, he offers the power to deliver you and give you all that you need to become all that you should become. I've tested and tasted how good the Lord is. I have seen him perform miracles. I can tell you many, 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 many. I said many, many, many miracles. I was in Guam. I was taking my wife to, to the airport. She had to come to the States, and she had a telephone that could only be used in the States, not in Guam. She used it in Guam, it was $2.90 a minute, so she would turn it off when she would come to see me there. And uh, so, I took her to the airport, and she has a violin which was made in 1473. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, 1743, 1743. It's still an old violin. And the 1743 violin was made by a student Stradivarius, all right? So my wife was a concert master in New York City. So she carried the violin with her, and I was watching because I was standing, you know, seeing, uh, making sure that she took all the stuff once she went to security. And, uh, but I couldn't see because there's a mob of people. There were, I mean, thousands of Japanese had come there to go swimming, and that's their... That's their vacation land, okay? So there was all sorts of people I couldn't see if she got her stuff or not. So I, I left, got in my car, and was driving away, and I felt impressed not to leave. So I stopped, parked, and I thought, I wish she could call me. I wish she would turn on that phone <laughs> and call me. But she wouldn't turn it on, you know, because it would be, what, $2.90 a minute. So I said, here's what I said. I said, Lord Jesus, can you do me a favor? Can you send a beam down to my wife and impress her to turn on that phone? 
Uh, you think that's bold? No, that's confidence. It's what? Confidence. So no longer than I said amen did my phone ring as my wife. She says, honey, do you have my violin? I said, no, you have it. No, I don't have it. Oh, no, I said, you, you left it back in security. So I immediately rushed back to the airport, ran upstairs, and, of course, uh, the security knows me because I, may I confess to you that I'm a chaplain of the police department? Okay. So as soon as, as, soon as I got there, uh, here's the proof. Okay. So they, they knew who I was. So as soon as I got there, they said, Chapel, what's the matter? I said, my wife, she just went through here, and her violin was left behind. Where is she? She's on the plane already. So my wife stands up, and she's not going to get off the, she's gonna get off the plane if she can't get the violin, and the, the flight attendants are trying to keep her back. So, so uh, I said, they said, okay, Chaplain, we'll take care of it. We'll figure out where it is. So they took off, and, and finally my wife calls me back. She said, they just gave me the violin. I said, praise the Lord. Then I went back and sat in my car, and I started crying. To think that the one who sits enthroned with millions of people who are pleading to him all the time would answer my prayer that fast. I was humbled and rejoiced. Do you understand? Do you hear what I'm saying, folks? You have a Lord that's what? You have a Lord that's what, Michael? He's enthroned. What is he? Enthroned. He's enthroned. You have a Lord that's what? That's enthroned. But you must be connected. You must be what? Connected. You must be connected. Folks, there's nothing that the Lord will not do for those who would put their trust in him. The gift is not what's important. It's the gift giver. Don't wish you can speak in tongues. Pray that you can be connected. If you're connected, you'll get the gifts. But you can get a gift that's not from the Lord, and you will be led to think that it is from the Lord because you're depending upon the gift rather than the gift giver. You hear what I'm saying? Our poor brethren who are Pentecostal, who are charismatics, are in grave danger because they are trusting in the gift. When Jesus wants us to trust in him. You hear what I'm saying? So tonight, are you connected? That's the question. Are you connected? Do you want to be connected? What's the response to that? How many of you are grateful tonight to realize that you can be connected to the one who's sitting on the right hand? Would you raise your hand to that? And more than that, how many of you 
will say, Lord, forgive me for my lack of faith. Help me, Lord, to put more trust in you, in the gift giver, the one who can give you all that you need if you will but connect with him. So this evening, if in your heart you're warmed about the realization that your Lord is enthroned and that he's there for you, remember in Hebrews it says, he went up for us. For who? For us. He's there for you. Whether you think about it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you think you're not worthy enough, he's there for you. All you have to do is believe. To what? To believe. Believe he's there for you. Believe he's there. You can answer prayers. Believe he can help you. There's no situation in your life that he cannot enable you to cope with, accept, or deliver you from it. So tonight, would you recommit your life to God tonight? Would you stand tonight and say, Lord God, I'm standing tonight to tell you that I intend to be connected to you. Help me to focus on you. Help me to remember that you're there for me. And when my faith is weak, then, Lord, answer that petition of that father who said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Let's pray. Our Father, we rejoice again tonight in knowing that heaven is interested in us, in me, and that even though I may not know or understand or believe, nonetheless, Jesus is waiting for the moment when I can connect with him. Forgive us when we have failed to understand. But tonight we stand committed to connect with you and to trust you more, to depend upon you more. And we thank you for hearing us in the precious name of Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.